Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. So today we're going to talk about what should be in a parent handbook and what should not, and how often you should update it. Where do you have the parents sign? What do you go over in person? And what do you presume that the parents read because they initialed? (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. So the, the assuming they have read, that's always a fun one. So when we look and we think about handbooks, there's usually two types of handbooks, right, Carrie? So today, we're going to talk about a parent handbook. And so when you're looking at your parent handbook, make sure that your employee handbook and your standard operating procedures all kind of work together. So if you were starting a brand new program, Carrie, where would you tell them to start related to a parent handbook? Well, the first part of your parent handbook should be a nice cover page. And then I like there to be the page that you rip out that they initial to be that second page. So there's the cover page. And then here's the thing that's going back to the the file. And then what is your culture? So some programs do that as a mission statement. Some people do just like a couple paragraphs of this is what our culture is like. They don't usually use the word culture. It's like, welcome to our school. Here we blah, 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 blah. And then enrollment is the next section almost always. But I like to write first an outline later, which I know is not what is recommended. I have a punch list of these are the things that have to be included for legal reasons, for any accrediting agencies I'm using, uh, for licensing. So I have a list, but I have a tendency to just write the first draft as what I call or what you and I call vomit pieces. Okay, so hold on real quick. Let me let me let me back you up a little bit, because I think that some of the folks who are going to be listening to us are going to have one of two things. They're either going to be a brand new program and this parent handbook is starting from scratch or they have an existing program. So when you talk about your punch list, where and how should people start their punch list? What do you think, Hmm. what would you recommend as far as I'm going to start a punch list? Well, I would suggest that you talk to a mentor. Texas Director actually has a punch list. Maybe we should make that available to folks. So if you want that punch list, feel free to email us. But you need to get a list from your minimum standards is the bare minimum of a place to start if you don't have a resource you can go to. Go through minimum standards. Okay, but isn't minimum standards supposed to tell me what I need to do as a licensing? How does that affect me working with my parents? Okay, but in licensing, it says, what do we have to have in the child's files? Well, we don't create that. The parents create that. It tells us when we have to exclude the kids from care. We don't create that. Licensing created that. They tell us that we have to have this type of emergency drill done this often. That's not up to me. That's what licensing says I have to have. So I put that in there. It tells me what I have to do about what foods are served. So that goes into the handbook. It tells me... Are concealed handguns allowed in childcare in your state? Yes or no? Put that in there. What about smoking? Can a parent come in while they're smoking on a Marlboro? That all needs to be in your handbook and that all comes from licensing. Oh, okay. So, but you said other agencies. What would be other agencies that would tell me things or that I should be putting into my parent handbook because of the way... 
Okay, I mean, you know, things operate. It's everybody who contributes to your license. So if you, the health department, the fire department, those are probably have specific rules that the parents need to be aware of. Like I said, the emergency drills, that may come from your fire department, not from your licensing. So that needs to be in there. Okay, so like even, so even things like shot records, we don't decide that. That is decided on a different level as far as when kids are supposed to have their shots. Right, that's the health department and that... If somebody is under vaccinated, what are the steps that we need to take? That's not our choice, whether we accept them and what paperwork we have to have. If we accept an under vaccinated child, that's from the health department. So that goes in there. And I cite whatever regulatory agency, because it just makes it easier when parents want to fight me. I'm like, look, take it up with the health department. Not my monkey. Not my monkey. Absolutely. I love that because that's actually what I was going to suggest is is uh, whether it's a, a parent handbook, an employee handbook, or even a standard operating procedure, if you have that in place based on some sort of law, regulation, requirement by a specific agency, that that's noted. One of the things that I found that I also look at is when doing parent handbooks are horror stories. <laughs> yeah. What is the worst thing that you or any of your friends have ever had happen at a center? And a that in your handbook and things that have to do with culture side yeah yeah and every side so and sometimes they're small things sometimes they're major things uh for folks who've gone through our director course especially our in live our our live in person course we know that we talk about stories that hopefully and i don't know if we always tag them as hey we're going to tell you this story and as a result you should make sure this is in your parent handbook so one of the one of the stories that hold on one of the stories i think that happened at your program is didn't you have a a parent end up dating a staff person? And I was actually not at my center. It was at um, a center that I was coaching. And so the parent was still married. Oh, okay. Um, so <laughs> we had one of, uh, at that center, one of their assistant teachers started dating a parent who was still married of a child in their class. So all kinds of conflict of is- interest issues, all kinds of unprofessional behavior, but they didn't have it in their handbook that you couldn't date the clients. And it didn't have anything in there about the social relationships between caregivers and parents. None of that was in there. It just said you have to behave with professional decorum. And I was like, there is no way that that's going to fly with unemployment or if they decide to sue you. There's just no way that that's going to fly. That's not specific enough. So, so yeah, so you've got that issue, but like on a, I mean, it kind of reminds me of programs where staff will babysit for parents in off hours. Well, and, and something that did happen at one of my programs is that I allowed staff to babysit and, you know, everybody had to sign a hold harmless agreement, but you know, I thought it was a good way to deepen the relationship between staff and families. But then I had a parent who decided to withdraw her three children and hire one of my staff members to be her nanny. 
Ooh. That was not fun. That was not fun. And so how did you handle that in future? What, what was the modification that you made in your parent handbook? And maybe even a tip for folks listening on how did you deal with that? I mean, what, what did you what did you say to the staff person or the parent? I let them withdraw. I did notify the parent that if they came back, there would be a re-enrollment fee, which is twice the normal enrollment fee. Um, I added that years ago because I was like, if you leave me and then want to come back because you realize that the grass is not greener on the other side, uh, you're going to pay me for that insult. Thank you and bye-bye. <laughs> um, so with three children, that was going to be a substantial amount of money to come back. That employee, I, I wrote the goodbye letter to the other parents instead of what I generally do is let the employee write their own goodbye letter. I wrote the letter. I said, you can sign this or you can have no letter go out to your parents. That was the only option. And in that letter, I said, another opportunity has presented itself that I feel it's in my best financial interest to take. I have loved working with your children and I will always have a place in my heart for them. Here is who's going to be taking my place. I have good feelings about them. I actually helped to train them. I think they'll be great. Um, <laughs> so it was all honest, but it was, we're not even going to talk about what the hell you've just done. And did you make it clear with her that she was... He. Not employable? Yes, I did. Yeah. He. Um, and then I put in my handbook going forward that if any of my parents hired any of my staff who either were working for me or had worked for me within the last 30 days, their tu- their tuition deposit, their last month's tuition was forfeit. Ah, okay. So you dealt with the issue, again, very professionally. You handled adding to your standard operating procedures for future issues. And I know that you share this regularly. So one of the things that we'd love to have you guys do is make sure that you email us any of your red flags that have caused you to now add things to your standard operating procedures. I know that you've also had situations, and so have I, related to uh, <laughs> smartphones uh, even or cell phones even before they were smart. So even when they were still flip phones but could send pictures. And hopefully this is, I mean, I think that probably has about a whole chapter in itself of things they can and cannot do. So make sure that you're aware and very clear in your handbook related to social media, pictures, the use of the phone. If you are a center that uses pictures and takes pictures of kids, uh, that you've got parent permission. Uh, If there is an app that your program uses, make sure all of that is covered because, you know, I'm still kind of old fashioned and I really liked phones just in a basket. And that the only people taking pictures of the kids ought to be the director or assistant director who are going around and taking snapshots because during the day. You've got and you've I got like landlines. exposed <laughs> liability there. If you have any child in your program who's going through a contentious divorce or who is in the foster care system and one of the parents takes a picture of that child as part of a group shot, you have just violated a court order in all likelihood. And 
then you, as the owner or director of that center, are responsible for that civil violation. I don't want to be in the middle of anybody's lawsuit. I don't want to be in the middle of anybody's custody battle. So please make it clear in your handbook that the parents cannot take pictures of groups of children without clearing it with you. Because you don't want to tell them, you know, that this specific child can't be in the picture because they're in the foster care system because that'd be a violation of that child's rights and a violation of confidentiality. But you can say there are parents in this classroom who do not want pictures of their child shared. So I can't allow you to take pictures of this event. So that actually starts to get into a whole other component of your handbook. Again, all across the board. So you've got parent handbook, employee handbook, and standard operating procedure should all be related to photography, the use of photography. Uh, And again, if things change in your program, you add a new social media, you have decided to work with a new safety software that does that has pin uh, numbers videos yeah and all, all kinds of stuff so I mean there are some classrooms who the teachers respond on an app and the app sends messages to parents during the day um, especially infant classrooms so make sure that whatever program you're using within your center for uh, registration for marketing for oh anything I mean there's so many different ways and so many different options that you just need to make sure that you've covered it all well in and all also three places. that in your handbook it's very clear if you're using electronic document collection that you put in your handbook what you're doing to protect that data because people are worried about you know hacks and most hacks actually happen to small to medium-sized businesses which you are you're a smaller medium-sized business so more hacks happen in our size of business than happen to like Google and PayPal they're going to happen at businesses of your size. So what are you doing to protect those electronic documents? You've got their driver's license number. You've got their child's birth date, all of that. What are you doing to protect that data? That should be in your handbook also. Okay. So yeah. So so if you guys think about it, as you've listened to us, we've actually cup, we've gone from phones to media and photography. And now we're talking about electronic data. So as you can tell, all of these things are different sections in your handbook and they will overlap. So you've got to make sure that they say the same thing. So if you've got online registrations or you're doing um, electronic check-in every day or some sort of um, health and wellness check, you need to make sure that if your software is updated, if you change software, if you are good old-fashioned piece of paper and a pencil, all of that needs to be outlined in your parent handbook. So the parent handbook needs to be very clear. What are the forms that are required? When are those forms required? Are they annual? Are they one time? Are they when things change? So one of the things that used to drive me crazy, and I used to have fees are related to it, because it only takes once or twice to to decide that I don't want to have to be bothered with that or somebody should be compensated, are things like phone numbers. I mean, folks get new work numbers, new cell phone numbers all the time. And it's amazing how they don't think to tell you that those numbers have changed or that the emergency contact phone number has changed. So if I have to go through five or six people and I still can't get a hold of you while your child is sick or you're late picking them up, that just won't oh, happen that, again. So take You just our- hit on a big thing that needs to be in <laughs> take- the handbook. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, so yeah. So how often do those forms need to be done? Make sure that every parent understands that. Uh, when you do the checkoff list and the things they sign, one thing that's really worth having as a conversation with them is using phone numbers as an example. Because people may think that, oh, well, I haven't moved, so I don't need to change that form without necessarily thinking, oh, I've got another new phone number. There are people who get a new phone number every couple of months. And so every time that happens, all of your yep. forms need to be updated. Because just because they changed it in one place, you know, if you've got a form that you've copied that is in every, that's in a classroom with that student, so that teacher has their contact information, make sure that the yeah, phone number Yeah, because sometimes they'll too. tell the teacher, but the teacher won't tell the director. But well, and the and the teacher assumes right. that they I told mean, the director. And so make sure they understand and, and put a penalty on that. I mean, that's just, you cannot have, you, you cannot go through five people and not be able to get a hold of a parent yep. when you have a child who is sick. This is just un. I just can tell this is something that drives you bananas. Your medical training is showing. <laughs> okay. So the other thing that you mentioned that I think is a sore spot for a lot of programs is that late fee. And that needs to be in there. And that needs to be explained. And two kinds of late fee. Late payment fee, they paid their tuition late, and late pickup fee. The child was not picked up. And at what point, how long after you close your business, are you going to be calling the police to say that you have an abandoned child? Now, I know that somebody just did a double take while listening to this and was like, excuse me, you're calling the police on these parents? No, I'm not. I'm calling the police to take custody of this child because technically, once your business closes, you have no legal right to that child and you are technically kidnapping. So you need to get that kid out of your care. You have to. So that's another one of those things that parents often initial and you're not really sure that they've read or they understand. Give them this as an example. Make sure they know what your standard operating procedure is if they are not there within one hour of You're close. way more generous now, than one I of the am. Things, At 30 minutes, I'm calling. Well, so one I'm of calling 911. <laughs> I'm calling 911. Well, actually, I'm calling uh, 311, 211, whatever the, the non-emergency police number is. I'm calling that number at 30 minutes because what I have done to protect myself is all my license is always good for 30 minutes later than I'm actually open so that my insurance is good for 30 minutes after. And so if I close at six o'clock, well, so my license says 630. So my insurance goes to 630. At 631, the police are being called because I have no legal right to that child. Right. So again, so that comes back to a couple of things you just said that you need to make sure again is in your standard operating procedure and cited. So if you say that your hours go until six and they go to six for this reason, and if you are not there by 6.30 because you are not covered by your insurance, please talk to State Farm or whoever your insurance provider is. So make sure that that's really, really clear. I mean, uh, a couple of things with that that is really important to understand is to make sure that whoever your closing staff understands what that looks like. So some centers have a $5 per five minutes too low late too fee low that day uh, okay i'm using that as an example so they have a fee that's for every so many minutes that the parent has to pay to the staff person who picks them up so i've seen it that way i've seen it where it comes in that the the center bills them so if they don't check out until 6 15 the center will send them a bill and the center just pays the staff i'm not going to sit here and necessarily say that one is better than the other there are some advantages to them having to hand cash to a staff person 
person, assuming that staff person's actually going to hold them to it. And sometimes you have staff who actually seem to encourage it because it's their way of getting out on the town money. That is true. That is true. But again, it comes back to that legal component. So if something should happen to that staff person, um, did the staff person stay clocked in or did they clock out at six o'clock? And if they clocked out at six o'clock, anything that happens that next 30 minutes, who's liable? So again, you can kind of read through the lines on my preference. I'm not going to... I do have my own preference, but again, it's understanding however your check-in, check-out system is. It depends on the people. I mean, if you've got a hard nose that's there at six o'clock, who's got her own family or their own family, and they are trying to leave, and they look like an impatient muckety-muck. Uh, I was, had to make sure that this was a PGG rated show. And, <laughs> you know, there are some people who can absolutely be the person who a parent's never going to cross, and that's only going to cross one time, or maybe never. So it really just depends. But if you've got people who like people who chit chat like I just don't want my staff also sitting around chit chatting and I'm paying for 15 minutes of chit chat and so it you know so make sure that whatever that policy is is in writing so is it that they have to be into your program by 6 p.m or that they have to be out the door at 6 p.m because those are two very different things for those chit chatty parents and oh but that's a but you brought up a great point related to chit chatty parents that really needs to be in both your employee hand book, probably more of an employee handbook necessarily than parent handbook, which is what is the clock in and clock out time? And, you know, there's one thing about telling a parent how their child's day was, what is a responsible and acceptable time? And should your staff have to document why maybe they didn't check out until 620? I think other things that need to be in the parent handbook are information about what are the ways that they can contact licensing if they see something that is wrong. But before that, I usually have what to do if you see something that makes you uncomfortable, that you talk to the lead teacher, or you talk to the director, or you talk to the owner. If none of that works, here's the number for licensing. So I coach it in, this is how you get this fixed. If you can't get it fixed within our program, then you call licensing. So all of that is together. And it has, at least in Texas, you're required to give them the phone number so that they can call licensing. But I first want them to know how they can try to get it fixed within the program because that's going to be better for everybody. We can actually get it fixed. Licensing can't get it fixed. Licensing's not going to be out for a week. And by then, you've probably already addressed it. Assuming that you knew about it. I mean, we have a lot of times where parents will call licensing over issues that sometimes staff <laughs> didn't even know about. And so your first your first experience is when licensing calls or shows up because they or, have a report. Or they so, report stuff that, Let's that should have been in your handbook. <laughs> like they'll call licensing to say, I'm I'm wanting to report this child care center because they did not wipe the rear end of my four-year-old when he had a bowel movement. So that needs to be in your parent handbook. What does potty trained mean? What potty training means and what the school's responsibilities are during potty training should be in your handbook. Because if you need somebody else to oh, wipe yes. your rear end, you are not potty trained, which means your happy little butt can go back to the toddler room and pay me an extra hundred dollars a month. 
that is, a, again, it's another one of those things that you might have signed or parents might have initialed that you need to make sure that's clarification. So as you can tell, Carrie and I can sit here all day and talk about parent handbooks, what we think you should have in them. If you really are listening to this and you are at a loss, you do not know where to start, absolutely give us a call. Let us get a punch kit for you. Uh, we know that there are lots of places that have um, parent handbooks and staff employee handbooks that you can buy that are templates. Uh, there's a pretty good chance that if you are, you've been in the field before, you probably have a parent or staff handbook from a previous employer. All of those are great places to start. Just don't use them as 100% because they may have updated and you need to make sure it applies to your program right. and the way what, you operate. What is the culture at your program? What are the important things? Is Do children need to come in a uniform every day? Is it okay if children come in the same pair of pajamas the same day, the same pair of pajamas for four days in a row? Do you require them to be wearing closed-toed shoes? Are you fine with barefoot? Are you fine with the kids coming in PJs and the parents giving you clothes to change into? All of those kinds of things are based on what is okay at your center and what somebody else had in their handbook. It's not going to relate. So make sure you look at what somebody else has and then go, what do I need to add or remove so that it properly reflects the culture I'm trying to create at my school? And you should be looking at your handbook at least once a year and doing an evaluation and do it with somebody other than you. You need a fresh set of eyes to look at it so that, and maybe so one of your staff members who's not also a parent, have them go through and say, well, this seemed unclear to me. Or, you know, I noticed that this doesn't address anything like, you know, Susanna's parents being mad because she lost one of her earrings. We need to address the earring thing, <laughs> you know. So have somebody else look at it with you once a year as well. And if you still don't know who to have look at them, again, um, you know, the, the coaches and consultants here at Texas Director are always available and we would be happy to help you with that. So uh, we look forward to engaging with you next time. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing, programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.